never, ever marks this spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that just got out of a meeting with Mr. Utonium about what we're going to do about Mojo Jojo. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Peter, how's it going? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> um, how's it going? How are you? Uh, pretty, pretty good. I think that joke's going to be in uh, live action sometime soon, so I hear. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that, too. <laughs> I just I thought to myself, what's the name of that guy again? Oh yeah, that's the yeah. <laughs> um, um, at any rate, uh, it's actually like this is uh, not much for me happened, and I feel like now that we're out of the DC fandom, um, there's not much news. Like there's really nothing. There's theaters opening up a little bit. Uh, looks like there's a chance I'm actually going to be able to see Tenant. I'm just trying to figure out how I do that. Um, yeah. Did you go see New Mutants at all? Because I know that's I out. I haven't. I haven't gone out. I haven't even bothered yet. So I was just wondering. I'm the same way. Like I haven't seen anything yet. I haven't seen New Mutants. Um, I I want to go see these movies, but it's still just, you know, it still feels weird to go out to theaters and stuff like that. I almost want to see if there's like a double showing at like a drive-in of like Tenant and uh, New. But yeah, I haven't seen anything yet. See, it's messed up. I (laughs) there's just there's the quality aspect of what Tenant, the intended format of Tenant, and I really cannot justify seeing it in the drive-through. Like, that might sound bad and stupid and like kind of snobbish, but man, I really it makes sense. Like, I really feel that film deserves um, the attention it does. It you know it. Like, I feel like it deserves every ounce of the attention that we give it compared to what the director intended. I don't know. Um, yeah, something you, you something feels special it. about it. That's what I mean, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to be watching it through bug splatters on your windshield, basically. <laughs> right. Um, as well as, like, you know, the sound not necessarily being where uh, Christopher Nolan intended it to be. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's actually a really good point, but... With the reviews New Mutants are getting, it sounds like that's a good drive-in sort of movie. <laughs> Absolutely. That definitely sounds that way. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely New Mutants needs uh, drive-in or me to just wait for it. I don't know if I need to rush. Um, we've, we've waited as long as we've waited. Um, I'm still excited for it, and I still think it looks cool. I've just been hearing such uh, spotty reviews, unfortunately. Right. Um... Well, uh, how about this? Let's since we're kind of talking about things we haven't seen, what have you seen? <laughs> yeah, so um, this week is really similar to last, where I don't have a lot that I've watched. I feel bad that it's two weeks in a row, but uh, yeah, I just haven't had a lot of time to watch stuff lately. I did start watching uh, this movie on Netflix called 
Project Power. Uh, do you know this movie at all? Are you familiar with no. Okay, so, a, so Netflix has this thing where they release stuff and like, and I feel like everyone does the same thing. They turn on Netflix and they go, what do I watch? And then you scroll for hours. Um, yep. and I don't know if anyone's act, like, I feel like, I feel like nowadays, I feel like nowadays, um, kids scrolling through Netflix is what it was like for us walking through a video store. Yes, but that's like, also the, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's the other side of that coin where, yes, like sometimes when we were kids, we'd spend a long time at a video store, but you almost always picked out something to watch. <laughs> and that doesn't always happen on these streaming services. Right, on these, stream, on these streaming services, you scroll for like an hour, and then you're like, ah, whatever, I'll just, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, so Project Power is actually like a pretty big release for Netflix. It's a new uh, movie that just came out with, uh, it's starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, uh, Jamie Foxx, and it's uh, it's kind of a superhero, it's kind of a twist on the whole like superhero like uh, mythos or whatever, where it's basically about, um, the, the movie starts off with this uh, guy walking out of the back of a semi filled with like mysterious crates and stuff, and he basically hands off a bunch of uh, these pills to this group of drug dealers, and he gives them these pills for free. But what the pills do is essentially you take the pill and you get superpowers. Um, and they've got kind of a really sort of succinct system for how these superpowers work. Like you take one of these drugs, and then five minutes later it kicks in, and then you have superpowers for 15 minutes. And uh, they kind of go through all these different ways, like different characters have different powers. Like you might get super strength, you might get flight. Some people have like bad powers, um, where it's like you take a pill and then five minutes later you just blow up, and uh, that's that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like five minutes later you have like... You're like Toad from the X Men. Um, I'm sure that's not that not that Toad's a bad character. I just never understood that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, that's actually a possibility with uh, how like gruesome some of these powers get. But uh, this movie I, I'm enjoying a lot. We only watched like half of it last night, and then it was just kind of one of those like it's getting late. We'll finish it tomorrow. So I haven't had a chance to finish it, but I'm like halfway through. And I'm actually really enjoying it. It's a pretty unique take on sort of a gritty, like, superpower story. Um, like I said, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jamie Foxx. Like, the cast is pretty good, too. Um, so I'm enjoying it. It's just more like I'll probably have the review of the rest of it next week. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, okay. And then the only other thing I can say is there's a few action scenes I've seen in the movie so far that actually are pretty spectacular. Um there's one where one of the characters actually has like a uh, he has like a human torch esque superpower, and uh, the way that that is depicted is much more gruesome and like violent than you'd ever picture for the human torch. But it's actually really cool. So I'm kind of enjoying the movie's like gritty take on all of this stuff. It's just you know haven't finished it yet. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Um, and then otherwise, the only other thing I've really seen. 
seen is uh, the Dune trailer, and I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. Uh, you, no, I have not seen the Dune trailer, and it's something I meant to watch before we started recording. I'm not going to pause the show now and go watch it, so I'll do that afterwards. But what did you think of the Dune trailer? And the re- and I'm kind of bummed that I didn't, because that's yeah. one of the movies I was excited to see. So what did you think, just straight, uh, just as is, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'll try to keep it pretty short. Um, so first of all, the trailer is very gray. <laughs> like, like it's very... Like uh, physically gray? Like, yeah, like uh, color spectrum, it's very uh, sort of gray and like ashy sort of tones throughout the whole thing. And there's kind of a weird debate going on Twitter right now about whether Dune should be more muted gray tones like that or if it should be more colorful, which is... I think it's kind of a funny, weird debate online that's going on, but that is happening right now. Um, well, Dune does take place in a desert, so colors aren't really like... <laughs> um, exactly, and there's a lot of people standing on that side. It's one of those things where I think somebody criticized how gray the color palette in the Dune trailer is, and that oh. his tweet went viral for some reason, so now... Everybody and their mom has to retort that, you know. Um, oh. But I, I don't know the source material. Like I've never read the Dune books. I think this movie looks cool. Um, it's kind of one of those things where I, I watched the trailer and I still don't really know the story. And um, I'm kind of I'm kind of drawing a blank. Oh, the other thing I was gonna say is. It almost feels more real world than sci-fi. Like I, I feel like hmm, okay. a lot of the costume choices and stuff feel like something you could see existing on Earth, as opposed to more like spectacular science fiction feeling costumes and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's kind of just the way that Dune is. That's just kind of something that I drew from it when I watched the trailer. Um, and then otherwise. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks cool. There's a, there are some elements, like some of the few like basic elements that I know from Dune, uh, they kind of hint at at the end of the trailer, and they look so badass, but I'll kind of leave it at that. Um, Drew, if, you, if you've seen like the old movie or you know the source material, you might have an idea of some of the stuff they might show. But yeah, it's good overall. I just kind of don't know what to think of it. Uh, in general, just because I don't know the source material, and the trailer was very vague, so there you go. <laughs> uh, well, a first trailer for any movie should be vague, um, so yeah, I will uh, give you my opinion next week, I guess. Uh, like yeah. I said, I don't want to stop the show to go watch a trailer, so. <laughs> right well, I'm, I'm actually glad they didn't give everything away, so that is one thing I could say. Um, I guess I was just a little bit, um, a little, a little bit, uh, some of the costume choices, I think, took me off guard because they felt more real world. And I think that was the biggest thing. But some of the big spectacular stuff they show is looking really awesome. So Cool. Well, I guess we could stop the podcast and go watch the trailer and just... <laughs> um, but, that, but that would kind of like... I just... I want to give the, I wanna give the trailer its due in my attention because that's... I feel like anything I watch, whether it be a movie or a television show or read a book or something, I always want to give it my full attention because I feel like that's where I get my best reviews from, um, yeah. or at least my personal opinion. Um, 
like, you know, when you see someone like watching something and they're like, oh yeah, I'll watch that show because you recommended it. And then you're sitting there watching it with them and they're looking at their phone for half of it. You're like, you're not watching the thing. Um, there's so much you see by literally watching and I don't, you know, I just, I feel like I owe it. Like I support the industry and I just because like, I really like it a lot and I want to be able to give them my attention and real opinions and I wouldn't be having this podcast if I didn't feel that way. So Absolutely. I actually, um, I totally agree with that. When I watch something or read something or experience a piece of media, I try to give it my full attention as well. Um, I know people who say like they read comics while watching TV shows and like stuff like that. And that always kind of makes me cringe a little bit because I do feel like, well, you're not really experiencing either story to the fullest, you know, but, uh, I guess people like to multitask, so I guess to each their own. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, is that all? You, yeah, I, I don't know. Is that all you watched? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, people like to think they multitask, but I think people need to understand that most people don't multitask. Um, I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100% on all of this. So, so uh, this week was a little bit busy for me, so I didn't watch as much as I wanted to. I wanted to finish Umbrella Academy Season 2 before this episode, but I only got a couple episodes in, so I still have a few episodes to watch left of that season. But I really like what they're doing this season. Um, I finished Harley Quinn, um, and it's awesome. Um, everything about it was fantastic all the way to the end. The thing that kind of made me concerned a little bit is when season two ends, it actually ends with a black screen and then it says the end. Um, and it bugged me because I was like, this was great. Like why this should totally keep going. And I looked it up and there's no, it has not been renewed for a third season yet. That doesn't mean a third season is not going to happen. It just scares me that they're like, well, we did our two seasons. Um, just because I just thought it was really good and it was too, it was too smart of them to not, I, honestly, it's just too smart of a show. Like they just basically took a, a they basically just took a DC property, threw in as many bad word language, sexual reference, crazy violence, nonsense that they could and created a show. And you're like, why was this not a thing before? Yeah. Um, it was um, exciting and funny and you know, all that stuff. So yeah. Um, ever since. Uh, Harley Quinn made the move to HBO Max. I've been hearing a lot more hype about it. Like a lot of people have kind of like uh, discovered it. Chance. What's that? Discovered it, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good. So fingers crossed. Hopefully they make a third season. Um, and then <clears throat> I still need to watch this show, but I'm so excited to to I'm so excited for the when I finally do get to watch it. But just thinking, the more I think about it, I kind of think it'd be cool if they did more. DC shows like this, like sort of the super vulgar Adult Swim-esque, like, you know, adult animated series. Right. Like, maybe we could get a Lobo show, maybe we could get well, you, Night. I mean, you know, like, it's funny, pull out of the closet. is, now that you say that Lobo is kind of like a character that would have fit perfect in this Harley Quinn yeah. show, but what's weird is the fact that Lobo, I feel like, wouldn't be extreme enough for the way the show was set up. Um... Like, okay. <laughs> like, like, and I know that sounds weird, but like Harley and Ivy are fantastic, but then you have like Clayface is just absurd. Uh, Tony Hale, um, from, I mean, most recently people probably know him from Veep on HBO. He voices Dr. Psycho. The stuff that comes out of that guy's mouth is so hysterical. And then you have, uh, Jim Rash from, uh, Community. He plays, um, 
he plays the Riddler. Uh, comedian Ron Funches voices the King Shark. And, like, uh-huh. King Shark is a character, like, he's he's a main character. It's not like he's a character that pops in and out. He's a main character on the show. And I'm always looking to find out who's going to, what he's going to say next. It was just, so it was almost like everything was, like, so perfect. And I feel like Lobo would have, like, felt odd that he was there. So maybe that's why he wasn't. But um, <laughs> he would have been, a, he would have been a perfect addition to the show. Um, that's funny. It's weird whenever I hear somebody, well, it's not that often, but hear somebody say Lobo wouldn't be extreme enough for this. Because I'm like, <laughs> well, isn't that kind of the nature of his character? But right. Who knows, maybe next season. Right, um, and like De- and like Deathstroke would have been way too serious for the show. So, you know what I mean? Like, once you see it, yeah. you'll understand what I'm talking about, but it's yeah. it's hilarious. Um, I, think, I think it'd be funny if, when you think of Lobo and all the uh, sort of fictitious uh, swear words that he uses. Like, he says stuff like he calls people bastitches a lot and stuff like that. Right. It'd be funny if he was on the show and everybody would be, like, questioning why he's not saying the real swear words and stuff like that. <laughs> and maybe, like, co- like, calling him, like, innocent or sheltered, which is kind of really funny to think of people acting that way about Lobo in general. Right. Um... Well, the other thing that I watched uh, was Batman vs. Superman. And I know I've seen that a handful of times, um, but with all the DC fandom news and um, and kind of getting excited for this whole Batman thing and the fact that we're getting Affleck back and all that stuff, I was like, I'm going to watch this movie again. Um, but I watched the director's cut, uh, not, nice. the, not the standard version, because I don't watch the standard version anymore, because we live in a Snyder Cut universe, and you watch Snyder's cut of things, not studio chopped cuts of things so um i'm watching this um if you have access to hbo max it is on hbo max so if you don't have the blu-ray or something like that the ultimate edition director's cut version is the version that's on hbo max you can't watch the non-cut version you can't watch the theatrical version it's only the uh um ultimate edition but as i watched it again that movie is phenomenal and um, I think people need to take another good hard look at it before they watch, before the Snyder Cut releases, I think people really need to watch that version of the film again and really focus because what I think we're going to get, a tr- I think we're going to get a big treat forthcoming. Um, there were just things I was looking at differently and like knowing what the Justice League trailer had when you got the nightmare sequences, the Batman nightmare sequence, and seeing Flash's time travel back, like just story threads that were implemented in that movie, I think people really need to go watch Batman Superman one more time before Justice League hits. So I think um, that's a that's a good call. I um And I just watched it out of a whim and I'm just like completely infatuated as well as I was watching. Like this is nuts, so Yeah, I, I want when when uh the Snyder cut actually comes out, I'm really wanting to do a watch through of Man of Steel, BBS and then straight into the Snyder Cut. Um, but it's kind of weird, like, you talking about this, I want to go watch Batman v Superman right now, but I don't know if I want to just save it. Like, I almost want to save it as, like, my Christmas gift to myself, so to speak, (laughs) where I actually sit down and watch all three movies in a row. Like, I've seen The Man of Steel and Batman v Superman countless times. I've seen Man of Steel more than probably any other superhero movie. (laughs) Oh, really? Uh, I've watched that movie so many times nice uh, to be honest um but i kind of like i don't know if i want to rewatch. Them that's just because you're in the movie that's why you watch it all the time you're looking for yourself you're just like there i am 
I mean, right? I was in it, but when that movie came out, I was like so obsessed with it. I was like, this is the greatest superhero movie I've ever seen. And I mean, I'm biased towards the movie so much, but I also love that movie a lot. And it plays into a lot of my aesthetics and tastes with uh, superhero and action movies anyways. So. Sure. I got you. All right. Well, that's all I got for uh, watching. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any extra watching news? Uh, no. All right. I'll so try to bring more next. <laughs> no, I hear you. Well, before we uh, before we roll into news news, um, seriously, everyone, go watch Batman vs Superman again, but make sure you watch that Ultimate Edition because uh, some of the story threads are just phenomenal, and the Wonder Woman stuff plays completely differently when you watch the uh, Snyder when you watch the Ultimate Cut. Um, or the director's cut. It's or I should probably. It's basically a director's cut, but it's the ultimate edition. So the Wonder Woman stuff plays differently. All the extra superhero stuff plays differently. The setup for um, Cyborg plays differently. The yes. The the stuff between Batman and Superman plays differently. Like seriously, everyone should go watch that version of the movie. As well as the whole um, the whole scene in Africa from the like Northern Africa from the beginning. Oh the movie, yeah. Like, terrorist situation has a lot more story threads that get fleshed out in it and uh that whole sequence seems so much more consequential when you watch the ultimate edition yeah i think i think batman versus superman suffered wholeheartedly from everyone having their uh marvel hard-ons at the time um i i really do i think that Batman vs. Superman suffered from the fact that Marvel was basically, like, owning the theater, and everyone's like, well, this ain't a Marvel movie. Well, that's because it's not Marvel, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, that... <laughs> <laughs> I've had this argument with friends before, too. Like, if this movie wasn't about superheroes, you would like it, but because you, you know, are conditioned to, like, a certain kind of superhero movie, you don't. It's, so. it's the comparison of uh, who... <sighs> I don't remember who worded it. Um, it was either on a podcast I was listening to or it was an interview with a... Or I was reading an interview with uh, one of the creators and they compared Marvel and DC in the sense that Marvel has superheroes and DC has gods. And that creates two different levels of storytelling. Um, and uh, then I heard someone refer to Marvel being Hot Wheels and DC being Matchbox. And I was like, wow, that's that's a really interesting comparison, but that's so true at the same time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Everyone everyone, just go watch Batman vs. Superman because it's amazing. And uh, it's and I honestly, and I, no shade to Marvel, but I honestly think that's one of the greatest comic book movies ever put together. I really do. Um, yeah. So, there, I said it. Um, all right, you ready to talk some news? Absolutely. Unless you wanted, unless you had anything else you wanted to say about BVS, because I mean, we've been—I mean, that movie's what four years old. <laughs> <laughs> you'd think, you'd think so. <laughs> yeah, right. No, uh, we could talk forever about BVS, so we might as well get into news. All right, cool. All right, man. So here's here we go. I got a couple pieces of random news, and then we got a bunch of Star Wars stuff. Um, but we don't have a lot of news tonight, so we'll see how this goes. Um, Walking Dead. Is ending in 2022 with season 11. Wow, okay. Yeah, The Walking Dead has been renewed for a 24-episode 11th and final season, ending in 2022. Um, 
so Walking Dead's coming to an end. I had read an article a long time ago that said they were hoping for 12 seasons. So this was back at like season six. They said they were hoping for a minimum of 12. They're almost getting it. This is where it's weird. <laughs> um, so we had uh, we had the show Fear the Walking Dead spinoff, and then there's another yes. spinoff going on right now. I don't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, you know what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't remember the name of the show. I just know that there's a second spinoff right now. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, like I, I after The Walking Dead or something like that, or Survive the Walking Dead. Um, I don't remember what it is. But what's weird about this to me is that they're ending at 11th and final season. AMC also greenlit a spinoff series focused on Daryl and Carol, premiering in 2023. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> and that's the weird part. I'm just like, wait, what's happening? So, um, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to say about that or what. take on things um i've mentioned before on the show that i i really like the walking dead i will say that i still i haven't finished this past season yet but i have enjoyed the show the whole time i'm a decently loyal um watcher of the show but i think that the last three or four seasons they've kind of been stuck in the same place they've kind of all the characters have been between Alexandria and the hilltop, and um, it's all it's all the same like little area of land, and we haven't gone anywhere new. And a lot of the characters are kind of just have been the same the whole time. So I think it's it makes sense that it. I think I'm I'm all for the spinoff series because I still love the Walking Dead world, but I will admit I think they are due for a sort of. Uh, yeah, just like a renewed look at everything. The Daryl and Carol show sounds really funny <laughs> because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, this kind of seems like they might be treading a lot of the same ground they've already been in the actual show. Um, it sounds like one of those things where if you like Daryl and Carol hanging out together, killing zombies, going on their exploits, you're going to love this show. If you find that part of the traditional Walking Dead show boring... You're not gonna like this show at all. So, I mean, I might be watching this. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if I do. But I, I think that's kind of a really funny uh, spinoff show. But I mean, if it works, it works. I guess. I know. I just first off, I'm not surprised. I just think it should have happened a long time ago. Um, oh, that the show should have ended. Well, no, not, well, this, a the show should have ended, and two that the Daryl Carroll spinoff should have happened a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, like, that makes sense. When, like, maybe the Daryl and Carol fandom was a little bit more booming or something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I just feel like the Walking Dead stuff has kind of waned a lot. That's why I just was like, what? Really? Another sh another spinoff? Okay. Um, yeah, I think there's, oddly enough, a lot of, like, super hardcore, like, Daryl fans out there, which is kind of funny. Like, I think Norman Reedus on that show has, like, a really dedicated fandom, and I think they just still want to milk that fandom for all it's worth. Um, but I agree with you. Like, the show has been... I don't want to say going downhill, because um, not this past season, but the previous season, I actually thought was really, really good. Um, but I think that uh, the show's fandom has been waning a little bit, and they're kind of at the point where it's like, 
they don't want to overstay their welcome. And if they can do one final season and have it be really epic and satisfying, I think that's great. So cool. I agree. So let's. I mean, it's twenty four episodes, and I feel like that's much longer than normal. So. Um, and I guess that's their way of getting, not having a 12th season and going, we'll give you 24 episodes to close this out. So, yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of people might be tuning in for the end going, well, it's a zombie show. How are you actually ending this? Um, yeah. You know, in a show I where we are like well, everyone, or we're basically convinced everyone's supposed to die. So I was going to say what I was hoping for, but it might be spoilers. So I don't know if I should. Um, well, well you... actually, no, it's not spoilers because it's reported all over the place. I was going to say, I'm hoping that Rick comes back for the uh, final episode. That would be, oh. that would be pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's a good point in terms of being reported all over the place and not really spoilery. <laughs> but it also uh, it makes me wonder if they looked at the, uh, if they're going at all with the book because the book's over. Right. You yeah, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yep. Um, well, we'll see next in 2022. Um, so, uh, next story, uh, Nev Campbell is officially back for Scream 5. Um, I feel like she was, I feel like she was a holdout. This is awesome news. I'm very excited about this because, um, she's a, she's a character we need to have in Scream 5. So, um, in my opinion, yeah. to really sell it. So, yeah. Yeah, they absolutely need her. Who do we need? We need Nev Campbell. Courtney Cox is already back for sure. Um, uh, David Arquette. He's not doing anything, so I don't see why not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, kind of. Any other characters we need, like besides those three? Uh, need no. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. So. Need no, because then you can do all new stuff. But the fact that she's back means, well, hopefully it means more than just a cameo, and she's actually part of, like this has to do more with the original story and stuff like a back to the roots kind of a thing like part of the mystery we didn't know um and i love the scream series so let's see what they got that's that's really true and that's actually a that would be a really cool take um it makes me wonder if uh like sydney's character is old enough where she would have a daughter now and somehow that plays into it as well Ooh, that is interesting yeah yeah like the killer is back for her kid yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk some Star Wars, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So here's an, so mm, you want to talk Mandalorian or movies, TV or movies? What do you want to talk about first, Star Wars? Your pick. Uh, let's do or TV first. TV first. Okay. Um, I will start here. The Mandalorian season two will have less isolated storylines. Um, I love like, it. And it'll expand the world with, uh, and yeah, so it just says it'll expand the world of the show. Um, it's a very small article. There's not much to do. What you need to extrapolate from a headline like this is that if you look at Mandalorian season one, there's some random, there's, yes, there's story threads that go from the beginning of the show all the way throughout, but there are some episodes that are very random and they're kind of side episodes. You see a lot of that with first season stuff. Uh, for any television show because you are create you have to do world building and let people understand where they are now i know this is star wars and we all know where we are when we go into star wars but this was a new spot for star wars and we had to understand uh clone wars did it rebels did it um i don't know if resistance did it because that show was designed for much younger a much younger audience so i did not stick with it beyond like two episodes um but the mandalorian specifically um had some random episodes, which was fine, and I totally understood. There's only one episode of The Mandalorian I don't like, 
Um, and it's because it feels very standard science fiction. Um, it feels stand. It feels very Star Trekky or Stargate esque. It does not feel like Star Wars to me. And there's only one of them. Um, but is it the, the prison ship episode? No, it's the episode where he lands on the planet with the like uh, primitive people that are just like hanging out oh, right. doing their own thing, and they get attacked by the ATST. There's definitely Star Wars elements to it, and there's definitely a Star Wars episode. It just feels like. Oh hey, we landed on this podunk planet, and we're gonna help the people <laughs> because we're staying here for like a day, uh, yeah. and then we're is, moving. Isn't on. that like episode two? I want to say. Uh, it's, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's I episode it, no, it's episode three. Um, oh, episode three. three or four? Um, uh, it's four. It's that far in. Yeah, because episode one oh, and two, wow. he 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 gets episode one, two, and three. He has to get the baby. And then eventually oh, get back to get paid, and then he goes to the other planet, and then he goes from that there. All, that all blends in as, like, one episode in my memory, but I haven't rewatched Mandalorian yet, so uh, that's part of my problem. Well, um, I'm excited for the multiple episode story arcs, which that sounds like a direction they could be going, or the overarching story that covers the entire arc of the season. That's what I'm excited for, because I loved the first season, but the one thing that... I maybe didn't love about it is exactly what we're talking about. Some of those episodes just felt uh, a little too episodic, I guess, a little too like too much like separate storylines as opposed to the overarching plots we're used to in television nowadays. And if they do an overarching plot for a full season, that is going to be epic. And I think that's what everybody would, you know, really love. So right. Well sticking with the Mandalorian part of the story is uh, we have talked about how uh, Ahsoka is sp- is going to be in season two um, and uh, Sabine uh, from Rebels is supposed to be is rumored to be in season two she's a Mandalorian herself um, and it's not Rebels Sabine from Rebels is supposed to be a Mandalorian season two I feel like I said that backwards but I, now I'm thinking I don't think I did <laughs> Um, so Sabine's supposed to be in the show too, rumored, um, and if you remember how Rebels ends, so if you're watching Rebels now, I apologize, this is kind of a spoiler, um, Ahsoka and Sabine are kind of off on their own, um, and the fact that Sabine is a Mandalorian and being a part of this is really kind of cool, um, so if that's the case, that's awesome, but the rumor has it that Captain Rex will also potentially make an appearance in the Mandalorian as well. The reason that's kind of a cool little rumor is because, oops, I changed things here, is that it sounds like uh, Sabine and Captain Rex are both rumored to be part of the Ahsoka show when that releases. Oh, neat. So apparently there's a, like, we talked a while back about the Ahsoka Tano show actually possibly being a thing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's, I just thought I'd let you know that. Yeah, I mean, is that confirmed? Is that nope, it's rumor, and or? it's it's rumor, and when it comes to Star Wars, when it comes to Marvel, when it comes to DC, when it comes to anything, if it doesn't come directly from the horse's mouth, it is not true, and you need to, and that's one of the things that everyone needs to pay attention to, so when you see something on the internet, make sure it's coming from Lucasfilm before you believe it, but the fact that it was rumored, we've talked about, one thing, confirmed, Ahsoka's going to be in season two, rumored, Sabine and Captain Rex will be in season two of Mandalorian as well rumored Sabine and Captain Rex will be in the Ahsoka Tano show. 
here's the thing. Ahsoka is closest to those two characters, so if they're rumored for the one show, it's probably a good indication that they're rumored for the other show, probably a good indication that it's true. But, again, I'm not saying it's true, so... Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let me break this down so I don't hear Drew from the Top 5 report said. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just want, uh, just to, so everyone knows, it's just, that's kind of how it lays out, so. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, all right, so, um, that's it for TV, ready to hear movie stuff? Yeah. All right, in an interview with Josh Gad on the Jimmy Kimmel Live, Daisy Ridley did not reject the possibility of returning as Ray. Now, if you go back to stuff that happened with, um... If you go back to stuff like leading up to Rise of Skywalker, there was a couple interviews where Ray said, "I'm never not Ray." Daisy Ridley said, "I'm never coming back to the role." Okay. Um, so and they asked her about it, and she's and she had this this a direct quote: "Never say never." But to me, the Rise of the Skywalker was tied off with a bow. So that sounds like she's open to it as long as there's a decent story for her character to come back. Like, as long as you guys have a really good story behind it, I'm down. That's what that sounds like to me. Um, And then the other thing they talked about was Ray's lineage. Um, And this was kind of cool. So, quote from Daisy Ridley. um, Because the the headline here reads, Ray could have been a Kenobi. Now, if you go back to leading up to Rise of Skywalker... um, she, there was a lot of talk about, you know, is Rey a granddaughter of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, you know, whose kid, whose child is she? Like, where does she exist in the lineage of things? Why does she, is important to the story? Why is she so powerful? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we learn later that, spoiler, sorry, Rey's the granddaughter of Palpatine. Um, so, Daisy Ridley says, at the beginning, they were, to- they were toying with an Obi-Wan connection. There were different versions, then it really went that she was no one. Then it came to episode 9, and J.J. pitched me the film Palpatine's Granddaddy, and I was like, awesome. So it kept changing. Even when we were filming, I wasn't sure what the answer would be. So, so this... Alright. Oh, so it was like, okay. So this is the thing that bums me out a little bit. It, first off, it's really cool that they toyed with the idea of her being Obi-Wan's grandchild. Um, it's really cool to me that they landed on the Palpatine thing. I think it's, I think, I think the Palpatine thing is cooler because at the end of the day, when you think, when you go back to the beginning, when you go back to episode one, when you go back to episode three and you look at the prequel films, Anakin and Palpatine were the two. You had basically this child of the force who was supposed to destroy the Sith and Palpatine was the Sith. And... In the end, Palpatine, uh, Vader did. He became. He became. Anakin becomes Vader to get close, and then just like all Sith, as we know, will eventually destroy your master. So he had to. He had to return as the Jedi and destroy the Sith. Um, we know that Palpatine survived. Whatever we all saw at Rise of Skywalker. What's cool about this is Kylo Ren is the. Um, Kylo Ren is the grandchild of. Uh, Darth Vader, and she is the grandchild of Palpatine, making them the dyad because of the connection all the way back from the beginning of the story. So when you talk about a dyad and the Force and like their connection and how 
strongly connected they were. It all goes back to that beginning of the story. Um, and I just think that makes it cooler. Um, yeah, that's actually a really good point. That's like some cool, uh, like philosophical symmetry, if you will. Um, right. And, you I, know, we didn't, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I just, I guess I hear the, the whole concept of the fact that they didn't know where it was going to go. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, because I just kind of feel a little bit like, I, I kind of wonder if it would have been better if they had it set up like concisely where she was going to end up from the beginning and maybe the movies would feel more cohesive in that regard um yeah i guess that's kind of what what i'm left with um i do think it's a really interesting story i think you have some really good points about why it's kind of uh cool that she ended up being a uh you know descendant of palpatine but uh yeah i just yeah, I don't know. It's, I kind of have mixed feelings on the story in general, I think. Choosing of the choosing Palpatine, I think, is the better. The thing that bums me out about this quote is the fact that it, it's proof that they didn't know all the way to the end. And it shows that, and it's a perfect showing that, for example, if you look at the original trilogy, if you look at the prequel trilogy, George had it all planned out. He had it all yes. written down. He knew where he was going. He knew the story he was telling from the beginning and going, this is what I'm telling. This is what I'm doing. Here we go. Where this, and it was all coming from George's mind, and George told the story that he intended to tell, and he basically said, I'm right, you're all wrong, and I'm going to sink with this ship if I have to to prove it to you. And you know what happened? That's exactly what happened, is we're all looking back at those movies saying, everyone's looking back at the original six movies saying, George was right and we were all wrong, because he knew it. And he followed what he was going with. And then when you look at this trilogy, and you look at the sequel trilogy, this is a trilogy built on focus groups. This is a trilogy looking at um, uh, demographics and going, what what do we need to have in here? Oh, we need we need uh, racial diversity, and we need this, and we need that. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't, they, you know, and, like, there's nothing wrong with casting certain people in certain ways, but there was too much of the focus group aspect. It was not, it was Star Wars by committee and not Star Wars by design by the creator. Um, and I think if George was the one writing this, they would not have been guessing who Ray was all the way to the end. Yes, and I, I absolutely agree with all of that. Uh, wholeheartedly, I agree with it all. Um, and uh, I really do think that, you know, the bigger, you know, Disney is running Star Wars now. And so, I mean, it sucks, but a lot of it is, you know, kind of uh, created by committee in a lot of ways now. But uh, I also like the other thing that I... Well, now I feel now I feel like we have uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau creating Star Wars, and that is, like, it. <laughs> like, because we don't hear it, we're not hearing a lot from the Taika Waititi film, we're not hearing a lot from Ryan Johnson's stuff, we're hearing Dave Filoni and John Favreau are creating Star Wars, and they're doing amazing, amazing work, and there's no one arguing that point, you know, so. Yeah, and I think, I think that's a good point, like, I wholeheartedly trust Star Wars to those two, and, uh, those are two creators who know how to work within the system, like, they know how to work under uh, big studios, whether it be Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, Nickelodeon, but they still know how to work within the system and turn out magic like we've seen them time and time again do before. Um, the one thing I was going to say, uh, talking about the story, the one thing, the other thing I keep thinking of is after Force Awakens, there was all these theories about who is Rey, 
And when I think back on it, I think all the tra- all the theories were either she's Palpatine's granddaughter, she's Obi-Wan's granddaughter, or she is no one significant. And it kind of sucks that it was always going to be one of those three. Like, it, there wasn't, like, a big surprise in that way. Right. Um, kind of like what you were saying, if George was at the helm, we probably would have been guessing all the way till the end. Um, and maybe even past the end, we'd still be arguing the philosophies of, uh, you know, the sequel trilogy, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bummed out, but... That's okay, because overall I liked this. Overall, I really enjoyed the sequel trilogy, so good for you, Disney. You put, you put it together. Um, I just, hearing that you guys did not have it planned out from the beginning. Actually, how about this? Getting a quote that makes it sound like there was no confirmed plan from the beginning, that's what bums me out. Yeah. So. And from, from stuff I've heard about, even after The Last Jedi came out, it sounds like they didn't have a confirmed plan from the beginning from just other interviews and sources that i've heard so yeah um Uh, oh well it is what it is (laughs) yeah well that kind of brings us to the end of the news we actually talked about that a lot longer than i thought we were going to but we also tangented a little bit at the beginning um so yeah dude uh you ready to uh roll into the list for the night yeah let's do it cool all right uh well ryan it's list time so play the thing For the top five. All right, Pete. So this is your list. Um, you want to explain what we're doing? Yeah. So uh, this is our top five secret hideouts, bases, lairs, etc. Um, I kind of played a little fast and loose with my list, where some of them are definitely secret, some of them aren't, but they're at least you know headquarters for a superhero, supervillain. Or just character in a story. Um, but yeah, mine aren't necessarily very... Um, I wasn't very strict about, like, it has to be a secret base or something. So, Interesting, because uh, all of mine are secret bases. Okay. Um, well, one of mine, for example, everyone knows it's there. Like, everyone knows it's a thing, just no one knows where it is, so it's a secret base. <laughs> I, have, I have one that I'm not sure if it is, and an honorable mention that I don't think is, but... Uh, it's all good. For the most part, I still adhere to the rules. <laughs> uh, do you have any thoughts on this list before we um, it all? I found, this, I found this list to be weird, not because I couldn't do it, but because um, when I was Googling secret bases and trying to just like, just to make sure I didn't forget anything, I thought it was yeah. interesting that the internet counts spaceships as secret bases. Um, so, for example, I found the Millennium Falcon on a list. I found the Winnebago from Spaceballs on the list. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I was seeing the same stuff. I found I, was, I found I the TARDIS on the list, but the TARDIS makes sense in an odd way. Yes. So I don't know, like I just thought that was weird. So anyway, I, I agree that the TARDIS makes sense. Um, the the Winnebago from Spaceballs. When I saw that, I was like, come on, that's a ship. That's not that's not a base. Like, <laughs> right. I um, get it, but. <laughs> and then there's one that I couldn't find on a list, and I had to go, and I and I had thought of it, I was one of the first bases, I, when you told me this list last week, it was one of the first things I thought of, and I did not see it on a list, and I thought it was really weird, so I actually had to go look up what it is, and I actually have internet stuff um, that I pulled for the sake of, uh, 
for the when, we, when I get to that one on my list. I actually pulled up uh, some uh, factoids because I knew that I was going to have to explain it. So, <laughs> um, oh, well, no, that's cool. It sounds like you might have done some more research than uh, I even did, so that'll be exciting. Yeah, right. All right, so I have two honorable mentions. Um, uh, as do I. So I got to go first, right? Yes. All right, so my first one is not really a secret base, um, but in the world of comic books, it's a secret if you're in, not in the know, if that makes sense. And that's the only reason it makes an honorable mention is because it's not technically a secret. Um, it's, it's I, a, I think that, that counts. It's though. a secret, but it's not a secret, if that makes sense. Like, how about this? You don't know it's there, but if you were suddenly brought into that part of the world, you'd go, oh, that's a thing, okay. Um, and that's the planet Oa. Oh, okay. Like I thought you were going to go with Wakanda for a second. But oh, nice. yeah, no, I was thinking of the planet Oa from the Green Lantern. That's where the Guardians who created the Lanterns uh, reside. Um, they sit, it's kind of like that, It's think of that as like the center of the universe for where the Lanterns um, come from so they can go protect their sectors of the known universe. Um, it, yes, it's a whole planet, but like I said, if you know it's there, you know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> so... I still think it's, like I said, I was pretty uh, loose with my restrictions on this list, so I would count it for sure. Right, okay. Um, did you have any more to say on Oa? Not really. Like, I figure, honestly, like, aside from a couple, I have a feeling that we're going to roll through this list pretty quick because we're talking about bases. <laughs> right. We're talking about hideouts. Absolutely. So it's not like we're talking about story elements and that kind of stuff, but I just thought that was a good, uh, good for an honorable mention, so. Nice. Um. So my first honorable mention is, um, it's kind of a weird one because it's, I don't feel like it's as, uh, cool from like a gadgetry sense and stuff as some of the other bases, but it's one of my favorites, uh, as far as like bases being part of a story, it's one of my favorites on my list, but, uh, well, I mean, it's my first honorable mention, so it's not that high on my list, <laughs> I still really love the story surrounding this one is all I'm saying, uh, and that's the room of requirement from harry potter um this is a hidden room in hogwarts that drew i don't know if you're familiar with this at all um i am not yeah. i'm sorry no it's it's fine it's a uh it's a hidden magical room in hogwarts that only appears when people are in need of something and it has like sort of uh transfiguration properties where if the room appears to you and you enter it it will have whatever you inside of it so there's like a joke about uh dumbledore stumbled upon it once when he really had to go to the bathroom <laughs> so he entered it and it was a bathroom and then he was never able to find the room again um but this room is does count as a secret base because it was the headquarters for dumbledore's army in uh the book and movie order the order of the phoenix and that was basically when harry potter went rogue and started teaching a lot of the other students sort of uh, defense against the art, the dark arts and sort of uh, defense spells so they could fight off the Death Eaters. So in the, I, I believe it's the fifth Harry Potter book, the Room of Requirement is basically Dumbledore's army's uh, secret base. So uh, oh, okay. this one I really like from a story standpoint, like I said, not necessarily like from a design or gadgetry standpoint, but I still think it's really cool. Ah, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, I'm not the big I'm not a big Harry Potter guy, so I did not know any of that. Um, I feel bad that I'm the one. I feel like I'm the guy in the podcast that doesn't know anything about that. But um, 
good. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so my next honorable mention is the base in Team America, um, where they, because they have their base inside Mount Rushmore in Team America. Oh, right. Okay, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> nice pull. <laughs> yeah, right, and I was like, I gotta, I, I do have to bring this up because it's too funny, um, to not, so I was like, I need to put this on honorable mention. If you've never seen Team America, uh, it's from the guys who did South Park, and they basically did a spy movie with marionette puppets, and it's like bizarre and strange and amazing all at the same time. <laughs> um, so, uh, but the base is inside uh, Mount Rushmore, and it's awesome. So, um, yeah. Yeah, awesome. No, that's a great pick. Um, I just completely forgot about that, so uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, all right, so that brings you to your final honorable mention. Yeah, so my final one, this is the one that I'm not sure if it's secret at all, uh, but I think it's really badass, and that is Castle Grayskull. And uh, I didn't grow up with uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe like some people did. I think it's slightly before my time. I always thought it was a cool cartoon and that the action figures were cool, but it's not something that I know a ton about, but Castle Grayskull to me is such a badass, iconic looking castle, and it just this one I picked purely because of aesthetic reasons, like I just think Castle Grayskull looks that cool that it had to make my list sort of thing. Um, so that's cool that it's an honorable mention of yours, it's the first actual pick I was going to bring up tonight. <laughs> okay, um, ah, nice. Well, so the thing is Castle Grayskull is weird because if you, I feel like it's the one area in the He-Man universe that everyone knows exists. Um, so it's not. I don't yeah. feel. I don't feel like it's a secret base, but exactly, it's. Yeah. It, first off, it looks amazing. Um, yes, it's basically where like it's like the main focus of like the He-Man story and everything like that. Uh, so Castle Grayskull and I was a He-Man kid growing up. I had a lot of the toys. I have. I actually think there's a Castle Grayskull somewhere in our parents' house somewhere. Um, mostly intact um so it's just it, it, it was such an awesome it was such an awesome part of the show it was such an awesome toy like I couldn't not put it on my list when I was looking at these so um yeah so Castle Grace I don't have a lot to say about it but I was like I what I do have to say about it is when does the Kevin Smith He-Man show start that's what I want to know um, and are we getting more, uh, in, in terms of, like, animation like that, are we getting any more, uh, Castlevania? Because I love that show, too. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> Very good points. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, man. So your first actual pick of the night. Yeah, the, the next one is, uh, probably the only actual pick I have that I don't know how much it counts. Because I don't know if it's more of a, it's really that much of a secret, but I guess it is because... Not everybody knows where it is and stuff, but uh, I chose the Ewok Village from uh, Return of the Jedi. There's a lot of uh, sort of secret bases and Star Wars that I could have gone with, and I was thinking of them all, but I think the uh, my inner child just had to go with the Ewok Village because of how much, when I was a kid, I loved the Ewoks. Uh, that village captured my imagination. Um, a lot of this sort of... Uh, shots of it I always thought were really cool where you know that you know that the background is really a painting but it was so well done and it really was just an imaginative imaginative thing um, but yeah it's not necessarily like I don't feel like the 
Ewoks are we're like setting out to have a secret village. It's more just like, <laughs> you know, like it was just kind of like an unknown sort of thing. Um, no, the Ewok, <laughs> the Ewok village is funny because I like how you said that. You're like a lot of people just don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was thinking about Star Wars too. Um. Because I was like, well, there's the there's the ba- there's the Imperial base on Endor, and then there's the secret location where they built both Death Stars. But you're basically finding a corner of space that no one goes, um, <laughs> so that's not really a base. Um, I was trying there's, to. There's I, Hoth, Hoth too, of course, definitely counts. Hoth, technically, Hoth does count. I just was like, I kind of st- I kind of steered away from Star Wars because I didn't really feel like enough of them were secrets. Um, yeah. or like the secrets the, the, the way that, that almost know. made my list was uh, the Death Star actually which I still like I kind of teeter on like I feel like that could count as a secret base really but uh, I guess I just was a little bit more of a purist and went with an actual like location on a planet sort of thing right um well, I, I think it's a great pick, so um, I just I just didn't think Ewok Village when I was <laughs> doing this list <laughs> yeah. um uh, did you have anything to add on Ewok Village, or, uh... Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Or is it my go? It captured my imagination as a kid, and I really loved it, so there you go. Okay. Well, so my next pick is, uh, the, the base is called Boulder Hill. Do you know what this is? I know a subdivision called Boulder Hill. <laughs> Alright, I actually, this is the one that I had to do research on, because I had to go back and find out, because I didn't know what the name of it was. I just knew where, I just knew what it was from. Um, I feel like this is gonna be like an old weird like Twilight Zone thing or something. No, like this that. is a this is an old weird cartoon uh, from okay. back in the day when I was growing up. Do you remember the cartoon called Mask? Oh, okay, so it's M A S K, right? M A S K, Mask. I, va- I vaguely vaguely know. All right, this. Mask is a GI Joe sort of kinda, um, um. Uh, G.I. Joe sort of kind of um, uh, action cartoon where you have these guys that they put on these masks or helmets that linked with the vehicles they drive and then the vehicles could transform into stuff. Like the main guy drove like a sports car and it turned into like a jet and he could fly with it and um, it was all like this military based thing. MASK stands for, it's an acronym, that stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command. It's a secret counterterrorism unit focused on combating the criminal organization Venom, which is also an acronym, and Venom stands for Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. Um, Anyway, so Boulder Hill was like basically this mountain that sat in the desert, and like all the vehicles, all the transforming vehicles could go in. And then that's where they got their repairs and upgrades and they built new ones and stuff like that. And it was, not only was it a cool sequence on the cartoon, but if you had the toys, and I had some of the toys, but if you had the toys and I never got it, they had a to scale, um, cause like if you got the toys, so let's say you got the, let's say you got the car, uh, the main character's car, you got the car itself that transformed and everything, and then you actually got the guy that went in, and he actually had the helmet that went on and off of him. Um, I still have, I still have the character with his mask, and the, uh, for the the main character of the show with his mask, and I have the villain with his mask. I do not have the cars anymore, which kind of suck. Um, but I do still have the action figures. Um, but the, 
playset, the base was actually a toy you could get. Um, and it had the, and it literally opened up and the vehicles could come in the main doorway and it had like, it was awesome. I just never got a chance to get it. <laughs> um, oh, nice. So, so Boulder Hill was like their main base? Bo- Boulder Hill, Boulder Hill was their main base, yes. And it was like, was it just like a, like a mountain, like a rocky mountain? It was literally just a rocky mountain. And it had, yep. Yep. Nice. And it had like, well, you know, silos for like aerial, uh, launches from the top of it and stuff like that. It was... It was awesome. It was just a cool base. So I just was like, oh, wait. And so when you brought this up, I was like, Mask. I got to go find out what the name of that place was. So <laughs> That's cool that that's one of the first ones you thought of. Um, all this talk really makes me think we just need more episodes based on toys. I know. I know. I know. Right? Well, I did, and it sucks because, it's, and I totally am thinking about that for future episodes because my list idea for next week is not a list related to toys at all so we could we could pick that later on um but um the uh they did say when i was doing some research i did find out and i don't follow gi joe news enough and i don't follow what's going on in gi joe enough but um hasbro since they own the gi joe license has recently inserted elements of the mask storyline into the gi joe stuff um and the and the main character uh, Matt Tracker, who is the main guy in Mask, has taken a position with them as an advanced vehicle specialist. Great. That's all. I just thought it was cool. I just thought it was just cool that they had that on there. So. Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, you guys all thought that Endgame was the most ambitious collaboration. Absolutely, man. Um, which, that sounds like a no-brainer, to be completely honest. Like, yeah, why wouldn't they have done that? Um, yeah. All right, so, yeah, Boulder Hill from Mask. Um, yeah, so yours, you got the next one. Yeah, so, um, okay, uh, yeah, my next one I'm going to mention is the Justice League Watchtower. Ah, oh, the Watchtower. Um, and this is a, I've always thought this, that the Watchtower was a really cool idea for a superhero base because it's essentially, like, some sort of satellite that they operate out of and i know there's been a lot of different versions i know i don't know if it's the original version but i know there's versions where it's the justice league that have this uh building or this tower on the moon that they operate out of my favorite one um and there's probably multiple areas where this existed but i always loved the young justice version of the watchtower where it's it's in the mountain it's in the mountain no, it's actually like it's in space, and it looks like it's it looks like they took like a random asteroid and converted it into the Justice League's base. And right, right, there. okay. And uh, I always thought that was just like the way it looks is so cool, and uh, it it just has a really cool, distinct look. And uh, yeah, I just think the concept for like having a secret base in space, like, orbiting Earth, like, that you can operate out of is such a cool concept in general. Um, Drew, I'm sure you have thoughts on this one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, there's a... What's interesting about the um, Justice League Watchtower is, like... So, when you said Young Justice, I was immediately thinking of the mountain base that they're in. Um, they go, oh, right, they, right. they have that mountain facility and maybe I just need to rewatch Young Justice again. Um, but that was the, the mountain. I can't remember what the mountain facility was called now. Yeah. And the mountain facility was kind of like a, 
subcategory to the Titan's Tower. It was kind of like a separate unit, I guess you could say. Exactly, um, yeah. The, uh, um, yeah, so the Young Justice had that, but the Justice League Watchtower, I completely forgot that it was on that, like, asteroid-looking thing. Um, and I'm having a vague idea of what it looks like, and I can probably Google a picture real quick, but the, I remember, I do remember it looking really cool. My favorite version of the Justice League Watchtower is the satellite-looking thing from the Justice League Unlimited. Um, oh, yeah. Nice. That, and that one, that one actually harkens a lot back to what the Justice League Watchtower looked like in the 90, in the Grant Morrison run of the Justice League from the 90s. Um, yeah. Um, and that's my favorite, and that's my favorite version, um, but... And it's, it's kind of the same concept, it's just, I loved that, uh, I just thought it looked so cool, and it looked like they carved into an asteroid and then built it on there, like, just kind of a cool conceptual thing, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my next pick. <laughs> cool. Well, rolling into my next pick is funny, because I'm going to go the opposite direction. I was, I thought about picking the Watchtower, but I was like, you know what, I need one just absolutely absurd pick on the list. And it's not that it's absurd, it's just an absurd base. So I chose the Legion of Doom headquarters. Right. Okay. Um, and the only reason it's absurd is because it looks like this weird Darth Vader-looking helmet that, like, rises out of a swamp. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it sits underneath the swamp, and when they have to exit or enter, it just kind of just kind of rises out of the swamp. <laughs> um, I always thought it was... I always thought it was weird, and it's just like it's it's really funny to me when you get to see a harken back to the Legion of Doom headquarters. Um, so yeah, it's <laughs> I always thought it was funny. I always thought it was, like it's just the you have the Justice League up in space watching down on the planet, and then like the the polar opposite of this is the Legion of Doom in the swamp coming out from underneath, um, which harkens back to that painting in Batman versus Superman with the angels and the devils and Lex Luthor's like, nope, you gotta flip it upside down. Um, that your pause makes me realize you don't remember that painting. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just listening. I know exactly what um, about. Um, Okay, so, yeah, what's, so... What's he, he, he said the biggest lie that was told is devils come from beneath us. Well, no, he says, that, he says that we know better that devils don't come from underneath, they come from the sky. That's why like the, the the painting had the angels and the devils like kind of going at each other. And he's like that should be upside down, um, because we know the devils come from the sky. So, um, but no, I just thought like the Legion of Doom. It just I always thought it was like why are they in a Darth Vader helmet? <laughs> um, yeah. And it probably got and it probably got drawn because of the popularity of Star Wars, and that's why it looks like that. So I have no idea. I just <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's true. Like after Star Wars came out, so many designs just in pop culture in general were just aping different aspects off of star wars but um when you said that the legion of doom headquarters all i could picture was like kind of the dome aspect of it but now i remember that like oh yeah it does look like darth vader <laughs> and that's hilarious but this this one's a really cool pick because i think especially if you grew up with like super friends like the super friends cartoon like this is a pick that's really iconic for like a whole generation of kids, and uh, yeah, I think this is that's a really cool one. Yeah, so uh, you're up next, man. Okay, cool. So my next pick is uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sewer or their sewer <laughs> layer, however yep. you wanna. What's that? Yeah, I said yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> however you wanna word it, but uh, this is one of my favorite sort of secret hideouts. Um, 
I grew up with the turtles. I love them. I always wanted to hang out in the sewer and, you know, do everything Ninja Turtles do. <laughs> um, my favorite version of this lair is probably the 1980s cartoon version. Um, and I think it's just because when I think of the, the turtles' sewer lair, that's just where my mind goes, is that cartoon. Like, it's such a kind of a straightforward yet iconic version of this sewer but I think um, I pretty much like every version of this I've seen. Uh, my second favorite is for some reason the uh, subway that they end up going to in, in uh, the second movie, Secret of the Ooze and then it's also in the third movie. Oh, yeah. I really like that subway base that they had but, uh, You know what? Yeah. That subway base is awesome. Like that was a really cool, that was even just a cool set. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, uh, I don't know if I've ever wanted to, like, hang out in the sewer, but I totally understand what you're talking about. Um. From, from like, <laughs> so, like, from, like, as an adult looking back on it, like, of course I wouldn't want to go down and hang out in the sewer, but sort of the imaginate, imaginative aspect of it when you're a little kid, like, that looks like the coolest thing ever is kind of what I meant. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's, it's, it's a good poll. Uh, the, uh... Yeah, that's a really good poll. Um, all right, so I'm looking at our list where we're at. I have two picks. You have two picks. Um, yes. I have a feeling I'm going to make a prediction right now, um, and our listeners probably know where we're going with a couple of things because we have not talked about a specific thing yet. There's at least one thing we have not talked about yet. So I'm going to make a prediction that I match. My last pick will match your second-to-last pick, um, and then I have a prediction as to what I think your la- your final pick of the night is going to be. <laughs> Um, I, I would agree with that, but I actually okay. think... Um, I'm wrong? Okay. No, no, I actually think the way I structured my list, it's going to be the last one we're going to match on, but... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's cool. We're either going to match on the final pick of the night, or I'm going to match on your second-to-last pick, and yep. I have a prediction for what your other pick is going to be. That's my. That's how I'm going with this. <laughs> so my second-to-last pick for the night is the Stargate is Stargate Command. Um, okay. I mentioned how I'm a big Stargate fan. Um, if you watch the show, if you watch the movies, um, if you watch the original film, you'll get, you, you know where the base is, where they keep the Stargate. It actually exists. So, uh, in, if you go out to Wyoming, there's Cheyenne Mountain, and inside Cheyenne Mountain exists the government entity, NORAD. Um, they do a lot of, uh, aerospace tracking and military stuff there, but they also have the Santa tracker. So on Christmas Eve, you can let your kids know where Santa is at any time. Um, but... Underneath NORAD, underneath NORAD, is Stargate Command. Um, And so that's where they keep it hidden. Um, And then it has links to, like, Stargate Atlantis in the Pegasus Galaxy, and then, or the uh, Atlantis base in the Pegasus Galaxy. And if the show is still going on, probably the moon base in our own lunar orbit. Um, And then access to all of our uh, ships in the Stargate um, space fleet, I guess you could say. Um, but I always thought the base itself was awesome. Um, being under NORAD, I always thought was really cool. And then a fun fact, because um, so, NORAD's a real place, so they put it under a real place. I just thought that was cool. Um, fun, fact, oh, yeah. fun fact about NORAD is if you go take a tour, you can actually visit NORAD as a civilian and take a tour of the base. Um, and they have a doorway that actually has a sign on it that says Stargate Command. Um, and they that's put great. and they that's put it there. Awesome. And they put it there as a nod to the show. There was an interview I was watching because I was watching some of the bonus features for Stargate, 
and they were talking about how because Stargate is very heavily involved with the military, like they have it's very heavy military presence. So they actually got guidance from the Marines and the Air Force, which are the two branches that are heavily focused on in the film, in the television show and the movies. They got heavy guidance from them, so they wanted to make sure they were properly represented and all that stuff. So the military took that as a uh, thank you and made a Stargate, like an actual a legitimate sign for Stargate Command in NORAD. Uh, okay. In the bonus features that I was watching, they said, yes, we do have a doorway marked Stargate Command. We do on the tours let everyone know that's how you get to the Stargate Command um, on the base. Um, however, if you were to open the door, it is just a broom closet. <laughs> um, which I always thought was funny, but hey, that's, you know, that's really cool. So. Yeah, I mean, that is awesome. I was going to say, before you mentioned the broom closet thing, that the last place you would expect Stargate Command to actually be would be behind that doorway. Um, (laughs) I still don't know. Maybe there is a hidden door. Uh, Maybe the back of the brooms, the closet actually opens up. Well, it is is the government. They cannot tell us. So there we go. Um, Um, What what does NORAD stand for? Do you know? uh, uh, Hang on a second. Um, let's, uh, Google this real quick because I don't want to look stupid. And I, I thought it was North Atlantic something or, um, yeah, hang on a second. What I does... Just, I'm just thinking, like, I didn't have all these cool anagrams in my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, I wish I had more cool anagrams. It's st- <laughs> it stands for North American Aerospace Defense Command. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. It is the United States and Canada uh, binational organization charged with the missions of aerospace, sparse warning, aerospace control, and maritime warning for North America. Well, you uh, you learn one thing every day. No more, no less. So uh, that's mine. Yep. So <laughs> I, I brought all the acronyms. You get to bring all the educational stuff next week. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Um, all right, man. So for me, Stargate Command was my second one, my second to last pick of the night. Um, and I love that series. I, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about it. Uh, they asked me how long it was, and I'm going to reiterate this now. It is a commitment if you were going to watch all of Stargate, because it's three television shows, three movies. Uh, and if you put the, the television shows together, it's 17 total seasons. Um, and I did the math on it. So if you did one episode a day and counted each movie as an episode, it would take you just like a couple weeks shy of a year to watch the to watch the entire series. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a commitment. And this is the part where I'm going to say, man, I can't believe I did this, because when I did the math on it, I was like, oh my God, I've watched it through in full succession twice. <laughs> That's awesome. Um. Uh, twice and a half because I did start it over and I just didn't continue on. But um, yeah. Anyway, that, that's that's crazy. I was gonna say you could always just like you know IV up and uh, tape open your eyelids and just see how much you could get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, so I'll go into my next pick. Um, this is the one that I think you were probably expecting me to pick last, but uh, I went with the Fortress of Solitude. That uh, was what I was thinking you were going to pick last. So that means yeah. we ma- that means we definitely matched on the final one, but yeah, we might not have it, matched. So that's true. Part of it, I was kind of uh, trying to structure my list list to match you a little bit, but. Uh, so I'm a huge, I'm a big Superman fan. And, Are you? Uh, of course, Fortress of Solitude was going to make my list. Um, Are you a Superman fan? I didn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Neither did our listeners. That, 
What's that? He said neither did our listeners. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I love um, I love the concept of this uh, fortress being in the Arctic because uh, it's one place that like Superman's one of the few people who could get in and out of it super easy, and that concept I always thought was really cool. Um, my favorite version of this base is probably the in the comics. Um, I guess it would be the post uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths version. Um, because um, when you say that, are we referring to the 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 comic book version? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Be- because like before, um, between like Crisis on Infinite Earths and uh, Infinite Crisis, and I don't know if those two versions differ very much, but I know that's the version that was that's in like the uh, Superman encyclopedia I have that I like. You know, when I started getting really into comics again, I, like, studied every little corner of this, uh, you know, this ba- this Superman base, and, like, I just thought it was really awesome. And I, I love, um, just in general, the comic book versions of uh, Fortress of Solitude I like because there's a lot of weird aspects to it that I think were set up in, like, either the Golden or Silver Age that uh, kind of live on, like how uh, there's, like, one part... <laughs> one part of the fortress where there's like a giant uh keyhole with a giant key that's like one of the entrances and just weird stuff like that that a key um, that only superman and supergirl can lift yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> it's made by um, a certain metal so like no one no human being could lift it so yeah. it just kind of lays then, there and you're just like well there's the key but i can't pick it up but then for some reason when alex ross it looks super serious and super cool and you can take it seriously um but uh the new 52 version of the fortress of solitude from what i remember it was basically superman took over brainiac's ship like brainiac invaded superman killed him and then he kind of took over his ship as uh the fortress of solitude and it was kind of orbiting the Earth, which is a cool concept, but I still like the idea that it's actually, like, remnants of Kryptonian technology that Superman set up. And I like the uh, more comic book versions of it, as well as, like, the the Christopher Reeves movie version, uh, I really like as well. Um, just, you know, based on that Kryptonian stuff I was just saying, um, as well as just the look of it, like... The Christopher Reeves movie version of uh, The Fortress of Solitude is so uh, iconic. It's what everybody thinks of when you hear Fortress of Solitude. You imagine those giant, like, crisscrossing ice spikes or however you want to describe it, and it's super cool. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this at all, Drew. Well, I was thinking about the... uh... Because I feel like they kind of use this uh, the Christopher Reeve version for the show Supergirl, and that's kind of how the it looks um, on Supergirl specifically. The um, I I kind of had to grow into it because I really like the Arctic version. I, I prefer the Arctic style for Superman. I like that a lot because of the Kryptonian technology, because of the Kryptonian look. Um, the uh, what's interesting when you brought up the Brainiac ship, it's almost like the the Fortress of Solitude in um, Man of Steel. Man of Steel is based off of a Kryptonian ship that crashed, yep. and that's where yeah. it uh, resides. Um, the version from the animated series, Superman animated series, had that zoo in it. If you <laughs> if you remember the zoo, uh, where he keeps yeah. like alien creatures, like all uh, he keeps the alien creatures all 
uh, stocked away. <laughs> um, yeah. Which that's as weird as that is, it, it it works. So it's like the Fortress of Solitude to me. I guess the one of the reasons it didn't make my list because it it did make my short list was the fact that it was very. It fit in this weird bubble of. Um, it fit in this weird bubble of it had it's changed so many times over the years and some of the yeah. changes have been so absurd that I'm like ah, it, it it there's never I never felt that there was a consistency it was almost like here's a take on it and it's and this is our take and it's just if we make something different it's that's just how it's going to be um, which is weird that I say that because it's a little hypocritical towards my next pick but I have reasons for why I said one thing over fortress and over the other thing that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, no, no, ab- absolutely. I think um, that's kind of why I wanted to point out a couple of my favorite versions, because I know there has been different versions of uh, this fortress, and uh, I think it's just in comics, like pretty much any long-running superhero comic, they kind of, every writer, or not every writer, but a lot of them come in and they add little tidbits of lore here and there, so... You know, one writer says, oh, you know, in the superhero space, we're going to have a machine that does this. And the next writer says, oh, but we're also going to have, like, this prison section of their base that has this weirdness. And it all ends up getting added together. And that's why you get stuff like the uh, like Superman handbook where you see the diagram of the Fortress of Solitude. And you're like, man, there's so many weird little contraptions and nooks and crannies. I can't believe all of this existed, but then it makes sense when you think of how long this comic has been running. Um, I actually do kind of like that randomness a lot, too, Um, and I think that's one of the challenges with making comics, is taking those old crazy tidbits of knowledge from really old stories and somehow trying to make them still seem cool and still seem relevant and stuff, but uh, I definitely understand what you're saying with some of the just random aspects of it, if that makes sense at all. It does. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, I I don't know what else I would add to it. Um, I do yeah. I do like how the Supergirl looks. Um, the super yeah. I like how it looks in Supergirl a lot. They don't go there very often, but I do like how it looks. Um, and I think um, it's been a while since I watched it, but I think the show Krypton had a very uh, Christopher Reeve uh, movie Superman esque fortress on it as well. Oh, okay. Which I still like. Like I, I do like the Christopher Reeve one a lot. So. Um. So, uh, are you ready to talk about our last pick of the night? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I think we both match. Uh, it's the Batcave. Yep. Yeah. Okay. For sure. So it's definitely uh it's definitely one that we um. So we have the Batcave. Uh, it's definitely one that uh, I think everyone knows exists, but we don't know how to get to it. Um, <laughs> and that's what makes it secret. Um, let me ask you something real quick, Peter, and this is a this is a sound thing, so we're going to do a quick thing on the air real quick. Uh, you sound real distant for some reason. Are you, like, move your mic away from your face or something? Uh, I did for a second. Do I sound okay now? No, you just sound distant, that's all. I don't know what it is. Oh, I still do? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of was holding uh, the mic weird for a second, but now I should be back to normal. I think I, I think I got you. I think I... Oops. You there? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought I lost you yeah. for one second while I was adjusting that, so... Um, uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, let's talk about the Batcave real quick. Um, oh, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> so, 
it, the Batcave has gone through very, a lot of different iterations and a lot of changes, right? Um, where the Fortress of Solitude has had um, uh, some different changes. Um, where the Fortress of Solitude has had, in my opinion, some absurd changes like adding in a zoo, for example. Um, the Batcave hasn't really had that. I feel like there's a lot of consistency with the design, even if you look at the... Um, I, I don't... There's some wonky... There is some wonky thing. There is some wonky things. I just feel like there's some consistency in terms of you're not seeing like you know like you said like one version is like in the Arctic and it's Kryptonian technology and another version it's Brainiac ship floating in space and then you have another ver you know what I mean like and then we have the yeah. other version where it's the crashed Kryptonian ship and they built it around it. This is one where the Batcave has always resided under under Wayne Manor. Um, yes, there's some been some wonky decisions, but for the most part, every take has been consistent with its version that they do. Um, if, does that make yeah, sense? I, I would okay. agree with that. Okay. Um, and uh, so the so for me now in terms of the different takes, you have the 1966 Batcave, you have the Michael Keaton, uh, Tim Burton Batcave, you have the Batcave from the Joel Schumacher films, uh, which would Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, then you have the Dark Knight trilogy Batcave, then you have the Batcave from Man of Steel, I'm sorry, Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman slash Justice League, um, yeah. and then you have the Batcaves from the comics, which have gone through various iterations, and then if you really want to get crazy and absurd, you have the Batcave from the Lego movie, um, or the Lego Lego Batman, which that kind of falls under the absurd and crazy weird stuff because they have like every bat everything in there um, that yeah. has ever been made. And then we'll add in the fact that if I have to pick one out of all of the bat caves that I like a lot, and it's an issue of consistency, it's an issue of look and design, it's an issue of what is in there, um, and that would be the bat cave from the animated series. Um, I know I hold that. See, I know that I hold the Batman animated series in a high regard, but that is my favorite iteration of the Batcave, uh, with the trophy room and the practice areas and the way the car moves in and out, and uh, when you look at all the other vehicles and how they go in and out of the Batcave, and it's a very uh, standard design. Like this is what I think it would end up looking like anyway, um, and I know it was built off of the Tim Burton universe, I guess you could say, but at the same time, I felt it was a little bit more what we think it's supposed to be in comparison to the Tim Burton universe. I don't know. Yeah. yeah so, um, I was going to say, we've actually seen, I believe some brief shots of the Battison cave as well. <laughs> like the new Robert Pattison, uh, Batman. Movie. Right. In that trailer, I think there's one or two shots that I'm pretty sure were the Batcave. cave. Um, to be honest though, I agree with you. Um, I, I like a lot of versions of the Batcave. cave. Um, the ones I like the most are the ones that are more cave-like. Um, for example, Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher, um, uh, Christopher Nolan. Like I love those movie, those versions because they feel very dark and very cave-like, and there's things coming out of the shadows, and it's just a cool feel. Um, I love Batman v Superman, but that version to me starts to feel a little too warehousey. Like it feels. A little too tactical, not as much, not not enough cave-like, just for my tastes. I absolutely agree with you, though. The um, Batman the Animated Series version is my favorite version. When I think of the Batcave, I think of that version. I think of all the stuff that goes in it. I love the way that it's it feels real, but then at the same time, it's kind of pretty imaginative how 
there's all these weird like sort of cliff uh, platforms that everything is on, um, which looks very cave-like and looks like probably not the most ideal thing to use in real life, but it still all makes sense and all has a function uh, within the way that it's designed on the show. So that's absolutely my favorite Batcave as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, I was not expecting us to... I was actually not expecting us to match on the specific Batcave, too. Yeah, it's, it's one of those... I mean, I grew up watching the animated series, and it's just one of those things that sticks in your head. And, like, as much as I like some of the movie versions, I still think the animated series got everything so right that it's just like you can't argue against it sort of thing. Um, I also wanted to say the reason... Like, Superman is definitely my favorite superhero, first and foremost, but Batman is a close number two, and when it comes down to secret bases, like, I have to admit Batman has the cooler base, even though I like Superman as a hero more, you know? Superman is so powerful, like, sometimes I feel like the Fortress of Solitude isn't always needed in a lot of stories and isn't necessarily always consequential, and maybe it's because of that, Maybe that's the reason why the Fortress has gone through many, so many different versions and so many changes, because maybe not everybody, you know, not every writer necessarily knows what to do with the Fortress, where the Batcave is always like a big tactical part of uh, whatever story, you know, Batman is in the middle of. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... Yeah, so Batman the Animated Series. I did not expect... I just didn't expect us to both match on that. Um, I wanted to bring up the Nolan-verse, um, the Nolan-verse, the uh, Dark Knight trilogy Batcaves, because they yeah. went through a little bit of an iteration. Because in the first movie, it was a very building a Batcave kind of a thing, and it was kind of... I feel like it was like very... It was In Batman Begins, it's very realistic and like very beginning to set up Batcave kind of a thing. And then you roll into... Um, the Dark Knight, where it's not even under Wayne Manor, it's somewhere else, um, because the Wayne Manor was being rebuilt, um, and they had that weird, like, kind of bunker where he had everything, and that was kind of cool, and it was very tactical and everything, but I felt it was kind of like an interim thing, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then when you look at The Dark Knight Rises, uh, that was kind of like the, had everything set up. I think it was really cool how, one of the things I did like about The Dark Knight Rises Batcave is how everything was like kind of kept hidden underwater. So if someone did stumble down there, they wouldn't see like all the computer equipment. Um, so yeah, as you stepped, really as you stepped on a platform, this thing just kind of rose out of the water and stuff. Um, I really liked the idea of that. But at the end of the day, think about like, like, the Batman animated series Batcave, and this is the one thing, this is, the, like, kind of the final point, I thought about this when I was picking this, is if you look at, like, it's the entrances into the Batcave that I really, really like. Um, I always liked how he got into the Batcave, like, because I feel like in the first, I'd have to go back and rewatch Batman 89, but I don't know if they ever showed how he got in the Batcave in Batman 89. Um, there was the scene with the, uh, would it be an Iron Maiden, the, uh, thing that he goes in with the spikes it's in batman returns it's in batman returns oh really oh, yeah right. um, i just don't know if they ever showed the actual entrance to the Batcave in batman 89 but in batman no, returns with vicky vale um through the tunnel into it while he's in the batmobile yeah but you don't see how it gets into the house i just don't think you see how it gets into I, the house yeah i think you're right 
Um, but in Batman Returns, they had like the the Iron Maiden with the spikes, and you had the slide that goes down. And Alfred was always like, "I'll take the stairs," which was kind of a funny joke because he had the. <laughs> Bruce Wayne had that, like, switch in the fish tank, um, inside the fish tank, so he had to put his hand in the fish tank and flip that switch. Uh, when you think about Batman 66, um, the Batcave entrance was the, you know, the Shakespeare head, you tilt it back, you push the button, and it reveals the bat poles, and you slide down. Um, what I loved about the animated series, uh, way to get into the Batcave is it was the grandfather clock, and you had to set it to a correct time. And if you know your Batman history, the time he sets it to is the time of his parents' death. Um, and I always thought that was, and I always thought that was just a nice little nod. Um, and it was just, I thought it was just a really nice piece, and it makes more sense to me than the Shakespeare head or the um, or the Iron Maiden suit or whatever. I mean, yeah, the Iron Maiden suit yeah. or the spikes and everything. I thought that was a cool thing, but at the end of the day I always thought the clock setting it to your parents death because that's what drove you to do the, that's what drove you on the war on crime basically so yeah it's, it's very very well thought out that's actually a really cool touch um, it's kind of cool they didn't miss that opportunity but that Batman the animated series just does so many things right so yeah all those animated series do so many things right and that's yeah you know um, well, hey, dude, that kind of brings us to an, the end of an episode, and we talked way longer in this than I thought we were going to for <laughs> an episode that I thought was going to be short. I'm like, we're just going to be naming bases. I didn't think we were going to go on tangents. Um, yeah. But hey, this, the whole point is to generate conversation, right? So um, next week is my pick, um, unfortunately, and I wish you would. I wish I would have thought about the toy thing because that would make a really cool <laughs> list. But we gotta. I gotta figure out how you would do something like that. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about this the other day when I was flipping channels. Um, on TV. So this is a list of tele of movies or television shows that will always cause you to stop flipping channels. Movies or television. Yeah. So if you're flipping channels, if you're just like you get home from work and you just need something on for background noise, you just sit down on the couch and you just need something on to clear your mind or whatever, mindless whatever. Or you're like, oh my god, I love this movie. I have to watch this right now because it's on. What causes you to stop changing? Okay. Awesome. You know what I mean? You're just like flip, flip, flip. Oh my god, I love this, and you just stop right there. Like, what are the five? What are the five movies or television shows that? So I call them channel stoppers. I guess you could say. I guess that's the best way of wording it. Um, <laughs> but what's going to cause you to stop watching? And you're just like, I have to watch this every time it's on, kind of a thing. So I'm gonna um, have to do a lot of TV watching to figure this out. <laughs> well, and you don't necessarily have to do TV watching, but like we flip channels and we're just like, oh my God, every time this is on, I have to watch it or I stop flipping right there because I know I'm going to get sucked in or something like that. Like yeah. I can tell you right now, the spoiler for next week, anytime Star Wars is on, I usually stop changing channels. I know I own the movies. I know I have Disney Plusing and fire them up at any time. But if it's on, I don't have to move. I can just stop changing channels and <laughs> let it go. Um, well, I mean, that, then that's your list. Right, well, I know every, every Star Wars movie, right? That's Yeah, I guess I don't have to show up next week. You, I can phone it in, and you can run the show. Um, so, yeah, that's the list for this next week, um, at least my pick, anyway. So okay, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so uh, how about this, everyone? Check out our website, top5report.com. Uh, there you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, you can interact with the show by hitting us up with our email uh, or hitting us up on our social media. Either way works. Um, you can subscribe to us on uh, 
Google Play, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. If you subscribe to us, you will not miss a single episode. Uh, and you can leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we also understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. And I talked about it last week. I did post pictures of my uh, Mandalorian ship Lego set. It's all online on my Instagram page. You can check it out. Uh, it's awesome. Nice. The baby Yoda is its literally one of the smallest figures you'll ever see. It's a single peg figure. I don't think they make any figures that tiny. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> um, wow. Uh, but anyway, the set is amazing, and I did I took a bunch of pictures and posted it. Um, so yeah, check out my uh, my stuff, Peter. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be asking: Is that the red or the white? <laughs> I always forget that. Um, <laughs> for the top five report, my name is Drew, Hi, Peter. and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night.